this week on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast. We begin the winter class titled Foundations of Marriage, taught by Bill and Leslie Burke. Leslie will be covering five disciplines to help grow your marriage around Christ. As you will see on here, um, on the handout, there are foundational scriptures, and we're going to start there. Um, Genesis 2 passage and Ephesians 5. These two scriptures um, we feel are very important, so I wanted to actually read those out loud tonight. So who would be a volunteer to read the Genesis 2 passage for us? Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. And the Ephesians 5, who will read that? Thank you, Summer. All right, go ahead, honey. All right, uh, then the Lord God said... It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Thank you. And the Ephesians passage? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are all members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thank you guys so much. We will refer to these two scriptures um, Mostly, we'll talk about them next week, but I wanted to get those out there and read them because these are the two foundational scriptures that we believe that Christian marriage should be based on. So I wanted to have them read and have you start uh, looking at them, mulling them over, thinking about them um, in the next few weeks. Um, And we will go over more, Bill will go over more of them uh, next week. 
So um, we wanted to give you guys, I don't know if you've ever really thought about it or done any research on it, but um, just some statistics on marriage and divorce. Um, before we delve into this material, we wanted to talk about that because numbers don't lie. And marriages are under attack um, today as much as they ever have been. They have been since the beginning of time. We know that. And um, it's still true. Um, but I, we wanted to, to look at these because it's important to analyze um, sort of where our country is with that. Um, and we need to take it um, seriously. And um, I'm glad you guys are here and you're showing that you, you're caring about that. You want to learn how to have a good marriage. You want to have a better marriage. Um, or if you're not married, you want to you know, have marriage that is meaningful and vibrant in the future. Um, so it's important for, for your sake and your marriage, for your family's sake, and then just as your witness um, of Christ in this world to, to seek and have a, a, a good marriage. So, um, but we wanted to look at these statistics first. So it's kind of interesting. Um, the divorce rate has doubled since 1960 in our country. Today, there are one million divorces every year in the United States. In 1970, 89% of births were to married couples. Today, only 60% of births are to married couples. In 1960, 72% of adults were married. Today, only 50% of adults are married. In 2016, 18 million Americans were living together unmarried. 18 million. Does anyone know what the term gray divorce means? Have you ever heard that? Anybody? What is it? Do you know? Can you tell us what it means? Yes. They're older couple, couples from long-lasting marriages who at you know, many, many years, usually over 25, decide to divorce. And that is on the rise. The rate of divorce among baby boomers tripled from 1990 to 2017. There is a financial impact of divorce. Um, recent percentages of divorced Americans below the poverty line by marital status 3.4% of early divorced men live below the poverty line. 10.7% of early divorced women. 18.6% of gray divorced men. And 26.9% of gray divorced women live below the poverty line. Um, gray divorce is affecting people financially. There's reasons for that. Um, they have less time to recover their assets after divorce. Um, retirement is deferred, standard of living is lower. Women are impacted at a greater level due to lower average income. Uh, they have longer lifespans than man, men, and they have less opportunity to remarry as they age. Men remarrying usually seek younger women with more financial burden. So everyone's affected in that. But the worst is women. So I'm going to ask you a question. Um, what do you believe is the primary reason for divorce today? You can yell out some answers. Primary reason. Money. Anything else? Communication. Okay. I'll just say not taking the marriage bond seriously, like not being mm -hmm. together, being trying to live apart, but yet together. 
It's interesting, Rachel. Um, researchers at the National Institute for Biotechnology Information found that 75% of their responders stated the primary reason for their divorce was lack of commitment. 75% lack of commitment, which speaks to an unwillingness to change. They don't care. They're, they just don't care. There's, there's no reason to, to try or a refusal to commit. Um, our neighbors um, that live across the street from us, unfortunately, are example of that. Um, in early December, they came over and told us they were putting their house up on the market and they were getting a divorce. And we then talked to them separately later and, you know, said what is going on. And she was very, um, just matter of fact, and said, well, I've found another house and, you know, I'm just ready to move on. And he was um, a little bit different, and he just seemed very defeated. And he said, well, um, we were high school sweethearts, and some people, after 40 years, because they were together for 40 years, um, some people grow apart as they age, and, and some people grow closer. And we just, unfortunately, happened to grow apart. So to me, 40 years together and it's ending, that's just a huge fail and, and it's, it's the saddest thing. We've been so sad because they're great, they're great neighbors. However, they have never wanted to go to church. They have family members who are believers. I know them and um, they've tried to get them to come to church or have some kind of a interest in God and we've invited them and they're great people as far as neighbors. They'll get our mail when we're on vacation <laughs> and you know they'll let us know if there's anything going on that we need to be aware of and vice versa but you know they just um, they we, we realized that there was maybe just a little something going on because they never vacationed together. He seemed to have his interests, she seemed to have hers and um, they never seemed to do anything together. So, um, but still we were shocked and surprised because you never know what's going on with people, um, obviously. So, um, but our, our neighbor's observation about um, people growing is very correct and that is that people are growing. They're either growing apart or growing closer together. So Paul states um, in Ephesians 4.15 that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. But how do we do this? How do we change? How do we transform? How do we go through that process of sanctification that we hear about in the church, you know, that, that, so that we can be um, growing more into, into Christ? Well, I came to know the Lord when I was 26 years old. In my early 30s, I was married with one child. Um, I was married to Bill, my husband. We attended um, church. It was a Bible teaching church. I went to a small group with Bill, and I attended a ladies' Bible study. I thought I was doing all that was necessary to, um, to be a Christian that was, you know, doing the right thing and, and walking the walk. Um, I was also healing from postpartum depression, and through excellent Christian counseling and medication, um, I had just a kind of a, a period of, of healing, I guess, and just um, seeing that maybe things weren't right in my life. And maybe my heart was, was ready because God really started to um, move and to prompt me to want to change. Um, it began because I was frustrated with my, um, my time with the Lord. I didn't feel like I had any good quality time with Him. And I started thinking of ways that I could change that in my life. I was still working. 
I had a small child, life was crazy, and the only way that I could think to do that was to get up really early in the morning and have my alone time with God. Um, so I started getting up at 5.30, and um, things began to change in my life. Um, and even though that was hard, um, it was like the best part of my day, was getting up early, being alone with Him, because He really began to show me things um, in Scripture and in my Bible study. Um, I began to see just this phrase of to grow up into the likeness of Christ or to grow um, into the likeness of Jesus. And, and I, 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 doesn't, I was a young enough Christian that I didn't really understand how that happened or, or what I was supposed to do to make that happen. And as more time went on, I just realized that there was nothing that I could do, that God was going to have to do it through me. And so I remember sitting on my couch and just really crying out to the Lord that He was going to have to do it, but to please do it and do it no matter what it took. And I think that is when I really began to get serious in my walk with God. And He began a hunger in me that really has never gone away. Um, a lot of people think that I'm really intense about God, and, and I am. <laughs> and I don't apologize for that um, because He's done it, um, and I'm really glad that He has. And I think that we all have to get to that point where we're ready for that big transformation. We're tired of just doing things the way we've been doing them and not seeing any change. But what it takes is asking God. It's really being honest and coming to Him and saying, I can't do it. You're going to have to do this through me. Um, and would you please do it? Because that's all I did. All I did was ask, and He answered that prayer. A little bit about Bill and I. Um, we both grew up in pretty tumultuous families. Um, our, our parents were church attenders, but they were not Jesus followers. Um, there was a lot of strife um, in, our, in our homes, and I, I don't want to dishonor our parents because we love them very much. Bill's parents have passed. Um, mine are still with us, uh, but um, they, they never seemed, even though they stayed together and they never got divorced, there was just always a lot of arguing and um, a lot of irritation in, in, in the home. Um, my southern parents um, tried not to argue in front of us because that's what southern parents do. They're, they're quiet and they want you to think everything is great. Um, but I remember laying in bed as a child on many, many nights um, hearing them fight because of course we could hear them. Um, and then there's Bill's parents who are from the Northeast and they're very, very loud and they fought all the time and they fought anywhere. Uh, Bill has funny stories about um, them going to the grocery store and just having knocked down drag outs in the grocery store. Um, but that's what we came from. That was our example. That's what we saw. And so when we went into our marriage, um, that is the example that we followed. So we yelled, we slammed, we stomped, um, we acted like fools who did not have the Holy Spirit uh, until over time we realized that um, it felt horrible. It felt horrible to act like that and to, to be storing up those kinds of emotions and that there, we didn't want our children to see us acting like that. There had to be a better way. And so um, we began to pray together um, for help from God to show us what we needed to do. Um, and we began to, um, to really read and study and try to figure out uh, what, did, what did we personally need to do to, to grow um, so that we wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Um, after more time passed, um, we began to see that we had less irritation with each other um, as we were each growing, um, together, growing separately and together in the Lord. 
um, there was less arguing, um, less strife, um, just more good time together. Um, I remember thinking one day that um, there, was, there was none of that, you know, faking the godly response to my husband so he would think that I was a really godly woman and then going in the next room and like faking the silent scream just to, to get it out. Um, and um, today, Bill and I may disagree on a subject. Um, we're two very strong, opinionated people, and we may do that, but there's never really any irritation or strife in that process. We just we talk things out, and um, we, we hardly ever really have a disagreement anymore, which is, which is amazing to me. Um, but God has done that. It's not that we're great and that we've got all the answers, but it's just that God has shown us that um, we're very sinful people and that we need Him desperately. And um, when we start to, you know, feel any kind of, of anything like that, we, we come to each other, we talk it out, we pray about it. Um, and that is one of the main things we do is that even when we're um, having any kind of, of a problem in our marriage, we, we consistently pray together um, about it. And by, God, by God's grace... Um, and our motivation to, to change, God has done um, amazing things, but He continually, you know, He keeps transforming us. So we're t I'm talking about these five disciplines, and that's the main thing that I want to talk about tonight. Um, what are these five disciplines, and what is it that we have done, what is it that we've found that, to do to, um, to grow personally in our relationship with Christ? So I want to head into that. On your handout you'll see blanks and that's where you can fill in the five different things that I'm going to talk about. There are some scripture references there. Those are more for your personal study. Um, I'm not going to read those out tonight. I'm going to refer to some other ones, but um, do that in your own time. Um, I encourage you to do that. So um, before I head into these different disciplines, I, do, do, I want to say this again, that um, I'm not an expert on these topics. Um, I've, what I'm going to talk about tonight is, is more of just um, an explanation of each of these and then some personal <laughs> examples from our life that we have found, um, but um, I'm not going to be comprehensive on each of these subjects. So that's why um, there's reference material here because a lot of these books and things that we're going to suggest to you, and they're also on your sheet at the end, um, we've, we've pulled a lot of this from, so just so you know that. So prayer is the first one, prayer. And I could personally talk about prayer for a long time. Uh, I'm passionate about prayer because I know that prayer has changed my life. Ten years into our marriage, um, Bill came to me saying that things were not right in our marriage um, and that we needed to do something about it. And I remember feeling that fear of, you know, he travels a lot and he's found someone else and what are we going to do? But it wasn't about that at all. Um, that's not what he meant. Um, he, just, he just wanted to try to, to tell me that he had this feeling that um, we weren't doing things the right way in our marriage. He felt he was too consumed with work. He felt I was too consumed with the children and that we needed to make some changes. But we didn't really know what to do to do that. And so we did know enough to, to pray about it ourselves and to pray together, and we did that. Um, and not long after that, um, as I'm, you know, I'm one of those people that I'm always searching for answers and I'm seeking God and I'm like, open up my mind to what you want me to see, is I came across um, a book that I felt the Lord saying, you need to read this. And it was called The Power of a Praying Wife. 
And I remember standing at the checkout buying this book and thinking, this is going to be great. This is the answer God's given me because he's going to change Bill so he's happy. But that's not what happened. That's not at all what happened because what the book was about was um, how I need to change, what I could do to change, to um, become a prayer warrior for my husband because I was not that at all. I don't know how I missed that memo, but I just didn't know that I needed to be an intense prayer for my husband. I mean, he was my husband. He was nobody else's, um, and I should be his prayer warrior, the number one prayer warrior for him. But I never, I never understood that, and I never heard it, and I never got it. Um, I prayed for other people, but, and I prayed for Bill in general, but, but not over each area of his life. And that's what this book directed me to do. And so I dug in and I did it. Um, and things did start to change um, in our marriage. I remember having, um, we just had this thought that, you know, maybe if we just tried to get together once a week and really talk, that that's what we needed to do. And so one Saturday morning, we got coffee, and we went in our living room. We put our two small children in front of the TV. I didn't care, um, and just said, stay there and watch. Um, and we're going in here, and we did. And so we started. And um, I had had counseling in the past, and so I really kind of knew how to dig through and talk about my feelings. But Bill really did not know anything about that. So it was slow going at first. Um, I had to like think of questions to ask him to try to get him to open up. But I mean, it didn't take much time at all before he was just going at it. And I was saying, we have 10 minutes left. It's my turn. Um, and so it really became like our favorite time of the week. So um, as time passed, you know, even though the kids started to grow up and we would have to go to baseball practice and soccer practice and those things, we were that couple that went to the field and we took our little chairs and we moved them off down to away from everybody else so that we could have our coffee and our talk time each week. And we talked about just our week and, you know, what we what was good about it and what was bad about it and, you know, how we felt about things. We didn't sit and talk about the kids. We talked about ourselves and, you know, maybe what we hoped for in the future. We talked about things that, that meant something, that helped us to go inside of ourselves. And that brought just intimacy into our marriage that was lacking. And so um, that is, it was a huge way that, that we started to do that, to bring that into our marriage. Um, and so um, now today, um, in high school, we you know, started to have more time together. We weren't running around as much. And so we started to um, try to do that like almost every day. And then today as empty nesters, we do that every day. Um, before Bill goes to work, he, he gets his coffee and he comes in the living room and we sit and we read a devotional together every day. Uh, we talk about our day and we talk about our prayer requests and then we pray together. And we pray together every single day. And we're always amazed um, to hear the, the couples that don't pray together. I mean, as Christians, that just seems to me to be like a basic thing that you need to do. But like us, we didn't know that we were supposed to do that. So that's what we do and we feel like it's very important. My personal deeper journey with prayer began um, around 2008, about 20 years into my marriage. A friend of mine, um, she, um, she gave me this book. It's called Magnificent Prayer. And um, she, didn't, she didn't really, she wasn't interested in reading it, but she thought, oh, Leslie's intense. I'll, I know she'll like it. So she passed it on to me. And um, 
and I started reading it, and it's a book that is about um, prayer, um, prayer that God has answered, um, miracles that God has done through prayer, um, prayer warriors throughout history. It's about just kind of the heroes of our faith and their prayer life. And it has like a, a biography in the back of who these people are and um, some books that you can read about their lives. And so it began a journey for me of just um, hunger for prayer. And I went through it actually um, three years in a row before I set it aside. It was, it was that good. Um, but it, it started um, that prayer journey for me and that continued. And as I started to read more and more books on prayer, then that led to just a heart for intercessory prayer for others. And so as I began to, just in my life, always you know, try to ask people, how can I pray for you? I just had multiple prayer requests that I didn't know how to take, um, you know, organize or, or how to do that. And so I started looking for some kind of a resource and I found um, a prayer log that um, talked about listing your prayers in a journal, and you write the prayer request, you write the date that you ask it of God, you write the date that He answers, and you put down how much time it took for God to answer the prayer, and then did He answer yes or no. And I started doing that in 2011. Um, this is my first prayer journal, which is so sad. It's just the ugliest thing. I wish I'd picked a better book to do it from. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, that was my first one, and then that one got full. And so this is my one today. So I just wanted to give you some t statistics from my prayer log. So started in 2011, and um, as of 2019, the end of 2019, I have recorded 907 prayer requests to God. Now, these are prayer requests. Um, a few of them are like things from our family or from our children, but a lot of them are from people in my family, Bill's family, uh, people at church, uh, people in my neighborhood, people in our, our different worlds and respective worlds. So it's not just um, us. It's, it's a lot of people in here. So 907 prayer requests since 2019. 795 of those requests have definitely been answered by God, or 87.6%. 83 of those requests have not been answered, or only 9%. There's a remaining 4%, um, and I'm not sure if they were answered or not because I'm not God, I'm just a person, and I don't know. They're a little ambiguous. So for those of you numbers peoples out there, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, that's what that other 4% is. Um, but out of the 795 prayers answered, God said yes to 734, which is 92%. He said no to 61 prayer requests, which is only 8%. And I'm not sure what that means either. I don't know if um, maybe I need to like ask better or <laughs> I don't know. But I think those numbers are amazing, don't you? I think it's just amazing. And, you know, why am I telling you this? Because for me personally, this, this, this grows my faith. This gives me joy to know that God would care that much that he would want to show me this, well, that he would answer all those prayers for all of those people, but that he would 
just show up in this way for, for us. And that's what prayer is. God wants to reveal himself to us. He wants us to come to him with small things, little things. There's all kinds of, of levels of prayer requests in here, but it shows that God answers all of those things. So um, the other way um, that we, have, we keep record of prayer in our home is um, this is a thankful living jar. And so um, any prayer requests that our family has, we, um, and God answers it, we write that down on a piece of paper and we put it in here. And then on Thanksgiving morning, we open it up and we dump it out and we read all of the prayers that God has answered for that year. Um, and that's a faith builder. That's a, a joy giver right there. That's a huge way to praise God, to see all the things that he's done for us each year. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking journals, jars, logs. <laughs> this lady's crazy. Um, no, I'm really not because if you think about it, um, if you read scripture, you've seen where God um, tells his people over and over again, make a remembrance, make a, rem a memorial. Uh, do not forget. Do not forget. You see that a lot of times in Deuteronomy, all the things that God has done. And um, he even told Israel to set up a memorial in the River Jordan um, of, of stones to mark the place where the Israelites went over into the Promised Land because he knew they would forget. He wanted them to be able to say generations later, what are all of these stones here? And remember what God had done because we are a people who forget. And so that is why I, I really want to mark it because I know that I'm going to forget. How many times have you prayed, prayed a desperate prayer to God and he answered that prayer, and you failed to get down and thank him and praise him and go and tell people about it. We just go on in our life. We just accept that God's going to do it or that he did it, and we don't praise him and thank him for it. And we need to do that. So prayer is one of the spiritual disciplines because it builds your faith. Um, it is, it's, a, it's a witness as you tell people about it, and it also just builds your joy and your, it deepens your faith. Okay, moving on. The second discipline is Bible study. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers." That's Psalm 1, 1 through 3. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. If you've been at Emmaus Church for any length of time, you know how important the word of God is to this church. Um, you see that every Sunday, um, as our pastors preach from the Word of God. Um, our church is committed to a deep study of Scripture for a huge reason, and that is because Scripture reveals our God to us. It reveals to us His nature. It reveals to us His character, His love. It reveals what God detests and what He wants for His people. Studying the Bible is essential to our spiritual growth. Just attending church and going to MC group, those are not going to be enough for you in order to really study scripture. You need to be studying scripture in depth. Um, 
there are many ways to do that here at Emmaus Church that they offer um, to help us. There's men's Bible study, there's women's Bible study, and I believe that on Sunday they're going to be announcing um, what those will, when those will start and what those will be coming up here in the spring. So be listening for that. There's also D groups. D groups are um, three, three, four to five people in a very small group of people who make a commitment to gather in their own time um, at their own place um, and study the Bible together, study scripture together, um, memorize scripture, um, have accountability, and they usually meet for about a year. And those are also um, something that the church helps you with um, I am over the women's groups for that, and Brian Bone is over um, the men's groups. So if you would have any questions about that, you can see us. But also, you can, you can dig into studying the Bible on your own. You can go on Amazon and order any study of the Bible you want and just you know, grab one friend, grab your, your spouse, and just start studying the Bible. Um, I'm always amazed when I really get to start knowing some people that, that have been Christians for a while, maybe even raised in the church, how little they actually know Scripture. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't either. I didn't grow up in the church. And so I had to, to make that commitment to really do that. And so I found in-depth Bible studies that were offered even at different churches as we moved around the United States um, during our marriage. You just find a way to, to do that. Um, and also, um, the Right Now Media that the church has gifted um, everyone with gives you that ability to go in and find resources and, you know, even watch them on your television or your computer or whatever. So there really are lots of, of avenues for that. So I encourage you to get into deep Bible study. The next discipline is meditation. If you've never really read about meditation before, um, it kind of freaks people out. Um, there's Eastern meditation, and that's not what we're talking about. Eastern meditation seeks to empty the mind, but Christian meditation is an attempt to fill the mind, completely different. Richard Foster, in his excellent book, Celebration of Discipline, describes Christian meditation very simply as the ability to hear God's voice and obey His word. So what it is, is it's a slowing down, it's a practicing silence in order to reflect on God, um, you're reflecting on His Word, you're analyzing repentance and obedience in your life, or you're just reflecting on the joy of knowing that you're a child of God. It's also, it's not just about, you know, sorrow and, and sadness or repentance, it it's also can just be, you know, the glory of God, that you're a child of His and that He loves you. God's chosen leaders certainly knew the ways of meditation. Genesis 24:63 tells us that Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And King David wrote in Psalm 63, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. The prophets certainly knew God's voice. And even the old priest Eli in the book of Samuel recognized God's voice calling out to Samuel when he was a child. But even more importantly, the Gospel of Matthew told us Jesus made a habit of withdrawing to a lonely place apart so he could be with God. And if Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we need to do that? 
Um, I have meditated for several years in my quiet time, um, but this past year, God led me to a deeper place um, through reading um, Peter Scazzaro's book on meditation. Um, it's called Day by Day. Um, excellent book. I highly recommend it if you're interested in, in finding a, a resource for that. Um, he describes in the daily office just it's the practice of stopping two to three times a day and reflecting on God. Um, it can be, you know, it doesn't have to be a quiet room. It can be really wherever you are. And it just requires a stilling of the mind. Um, and that's a really, really hard thing to do. I mean, I find myself, you know, looking at the, the dust in the corners and thinking about the laundry. And I've really had to work hard to really focus and still my mind just on, on um the King Jesus, you know, praising God, um, thinking about Him, thinking about a scripture and mulling that over in my mind, um, or just, you know, praising Him. But the goal is to have you pay more attention to God throughout your entire day um, and your activities. Um, and this, this is not a new thing. Um, in fact, um, just the contemporary church is probably um, the least people that have ever done it all through history. Um, the church has done it. Um, you know, as I said in, in the Old Testament, you can see where people are meditating on, on the Lord. But it's key to creating a continual awareness in your mind of God's presence. And it helps you. It helps you throughout your day to do it. So I highly recommend that. In the uh, women's Bible study at Emmaus this fall, um, it was really cool to see, since I'm so, so into that now, um, that um, they gave us a resource with the study, and that was just a little meditation book, and, and it was just to take um, a scripture and just to, um, and that's from the week's Bible study, just one scripture, and just to meditate it during the week and, and think about what it means to you and to write some thoughts about it. So that was very cool, and we got a lot of good feedback from that. So there's no right way to meditate. There's a lot of different ways. So I just, again, suggest you get some uh, resources and dig into that and seek the Lord's guidance. Okay, the last one, uh, nope, next to last one is fasting. Biblical fasting always focuses on spiritual purposes. Intermittent fasting for dieting does not count. I know, I've tried to do it. This is not the same thing. <laughs> but biblical fasting always focuses on spiritual purposes. There are no New Testament biblical laws that command regular fasting. Although um, there, were, there was maybe one feast, I think, that they were told to fast at, but we should not neglect it at all because Jesus not only taught about fasting on the Sermon on the Mount, but we know that he assumes that his followers will fast because he teaches when you fast, which means they're going to do it. He's just assumed that, he, that people will. So, so Jesus just assumed that we knew to do that. And somewhere along the way, the church has just kind of not, I don't know, People that I know, I mean, there's not many people I know that really do it on a regular basis. Um, it is difficult. You know, I've struggled with that in my life. Um, and um, it's something that you really have to determine to do. But why? Why should we fast? Some reasons to fast are to glorify God, to reveal the things that control us, to remind us that we are sustained by the Word of God, excuse me, <clears throat> to bring balance into our life, direction from God, 
and intercession for ourselves and others, or intercession. <coughs> I personally find that a combination of prayer and fasting, emptying the stomach and not having to worry about meals and eating, it just frees up something within yourself. It's hard to describe and to put into words, but it just um, it brings clarity. Um, if you're really praying over an issue or you're just you're praying about um, just, you know, um, really wanting to let go of the world and focus more on God. Um, if you have a big decision to make or you're really trying to pray for something for someone, just um, not eating um, really can do that. Now, I don't, I don't recommend any kind, types of specific ways to do that. You can find those in a lot of, of resources. But um, I definitely feel like that we, we should be fasting, all of us, at different times. The benefits far outweigh the discomfort. Okay, fifth discipline is community. And when we talk about community within the spiritual disciplines, um, it's that it, it's not optional. You need relationships outside of your family in order to, to serve, to shine the light of Christ, and to share the gospel. Um, the other half of the great commandment is Mark, in Mark 12 is Jesus telling us to love our neighbor as ourself. Community is the importance of relationships, not just attending church. True community demands transparency from you and others, but it's worth it. Here at Emmaus, the starting point for community is MC groups and D groups to help guide you, but you can also find it by serving in various ministry opportunities or just reaching out yourself to get to know people and um, getting to know one another in fellowship. Um, we are actually going to be delving much deeper into this aspect of community in, in, in relationship to marriage in the third week. Mm -hmm.